Howdy. You're listening to the Texas A&M RUF podcast. Hope you enjoyed the talk. Hey, y'all again. Welcome to RUF. Um, so tonight we do, we have the pleasure of hearing from Titus Bagby. He's going to be preaching God's word for us tonight. I'll be back next week, uh, but he is gracious enough to step in, and we're excited to hear from him. I just want to say a reminder real quick. If you're, this is your first time to RUF, or if you didn't even know this, we always put out bulletins every week. So they're usually at the front, okay? And so if you don't have your Bible or if you forget it, or it, it's a great way we, we print it out and we have the scripture for the passage that we preach every night. We have it in there. We have the order of worship there. So feel free to pick those up every night when you come in. Um, it's really helpful just to have. Uh, and so just wanted to draw your attention to that. We also, on the back of those, have our small groups that are going on throughout the semester. It's never too late to join a small group, okay? So uh, feel free to do that. Look those up. Um, and if you're interested in any of these times or your availability in these times, you want to get involved, come talk to me, come talk to George or Emma. We'd love to get you involved in some way. Okay? Um, so tonight's scripture, we've been walking through our series in the Gospel of John, and we're going to be in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. So if you have your Bibles, open up there. It's on the screen behind me. You can look at it and follow along there as well. So this is John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. This is God's word. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may be, and that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, in my words, Abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we trust and believe that tonight it is 
not just information, but I pray that it would be transformative for all of our hearts, that we would not leave the doors of All Face Chapel unchanged. But Lord, that we would trust and believe again your gospel. Lord, you speak through Titus. Would your Holy Spirit um, bring someone to know you tonight? And we thank you for drawing us to yourself, to your son Jesus. It's his name we pray. Amen. Y'all hungry? Okay. Good. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Austin, and uh, thank y'all for having me tonight. It's a pleasure being with y'all. Um, yeah, love love getting to to see y'all worship here uh, this evening, and love seeing the costumes. Glad to, to bear down with y'all a little bit with the, the bear cap here. So. Um, and you know, today there's you know there are a lot of things you could have been doing tonight, um, as it's been said earlier. And here are a few things that are actually going on today, if you, if you weren't aware of it yet. Today is actually National Fried Chicken Day, or Chicken Fried Steak Day. So if you haven't had dinner yet, it's a good day to have Chicken Fried Steak. Um, it's also National Howl at the Moon Day. So you're already dressed up in a costume. Why not? I mean, everyone already thinks you're weird. Just go for it. Um, today is also National Pumpkin Day. If you like pretending that we actually have fall here in Texas, it's National Pumpkin Day. <laughs> Whatever day it is, we're glad that you're here. It's a good day to be an RUF large group. And you are here tonight likely because you're looking for something. You came to college looking for something. Quite hopefully that was to find a degree and to get a job afterwards so your parents' money was not in vain. Um, quite hopefully also it was to find the relationship or relationships that will last the rest of your life. But hopefully, more than anything else, you actually came to, follow, came to college to find who you are, what story you're a part of, so that you might know what to do before you launch into this mad world of adulthood. Another campus minister a few years back, a guy named Sammy Rhodes, he wrote a fantastic article titled, College Does Not Change Your Heart, College Reveals It. And in that article, he quotes a Duke sociologist named Christian Smith, and he, uh, Christian Smith in this quote really captures how hard it is to find yourself while you're in college. So as I read it, you know, think about you know, whether this rings true for you or not and whether you can relate to just the struggle of finding yourself in this very chaotic time. To an extent matched by no other in time in the course of life, emerging adults enjoy and endure multiple layered, big, and often unanticipated life transitions. They move out, they move back, they plan to move out again. They go to college, they drop out, they transfer, they take a break for a semester to save some money. Some graduate, some don't. They want to study architecture. They hate architecture. They switch to criminal justice, a different career path. Their parents separate, make up, get divorced, remarry. They take a job, they quit, they find another, they get promoted, they move on. They meet new friends. Their old friends change. Their friends don't get along. They meet more new friends. They get new roommates, and their roommates don't work out, so they find a new apartment. They buy insurance, they wreck their car, they, get, they cancel their insurance and borrow a car. They find their soulmate, get involved, their soulmate dumps them, they are crushed. They believe in saving sex for meaningful relationships, they hook up, they get angry with themselves, they look for meaningful relationships. They smoke, they want to quit smoking, they quit for a few days, they start again, in these and other ways for emerging adults, not a lot in life is stable or enduring. 
So if you haven't discovered it yet, you are a whole host of contradictions. And the culture around us is telling us to be true to ourselves, but how can we be true to ourselves if we don't really know who our true self is? And as we dive into the Bible tonight, what I hope we'll find is that actually none of us can find ourselves apart from relationships that we have. And particularly, there's one relationship that defines us and defines all other relationships in our life. And that's the relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's consider further tonight from God's Word how we find ourselves in Christ and by finding ourselves in Him that we actually find the capacity to love as He has loved us. So looking at our passage tonight, um, if you've spent any time studying the book of John, you'll notice that there's kind of a unique pattern that Jesus uses for describing himself throughout the book of John. It's a series of I am statements, and there's seven of them in the book of John. And Jesus employs these I am statements to really help us understand who he is, what he's like, and even what kind of relationship he wants to have with his people. And what's significant about these statements is that they echo Genesis, or Exodus 3.14, all the way back at the beginning of the Bible, where God meets Moses in this burning bush, and Moses realizing he's on holy ground, asks God, what is your name? He's trying to kind of figure out who God is and what he's like and what area maybe of creation to kind of pin him in. And God says, I am. You can't define me. I am who I am. And that's enough. That's how you'll remember me. And so in the Old Testament, God gave this name, I am, to his people. And as you're reading your English Bible, you'll see that it's, you know, the word Lord in all capital letters. And it's a special name that he gave to his people for them to remember him. And particularly, it was a name for them to remember God's love and his faithfulness for him, for them. And it was the name that God would use, you know, particularly in reference to the Exodus, which is this great salvific moment in redemptive history where God reaches in, saves his people from slavery, and takes them out of slavery to make them his own people. And so then along comes Jesus in the book of John, and he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection of the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. So through this statement, these statements, Jesus is making a radical claim that he is one and the same with the Old Testament God, that there's no distinction to be made between them. But then also he's doing more than that. He's filling out the picture for us. He's giving us a more full, more vivid picture of who God is and what he's like. And so what is Jesus saying to you and to us tonight by saying that I am the true vine? I think it's important for us to know where this falls in the book of John. This takes part of, it's called the farewell discourse. It's this last conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples you know, at the Lord's Supper and before he goes to the cross. It's quite literally some of the last words he was say, he's going to say before he dies. And if you know anything about anyone, like the words you say before you die are often some of your most important words. And so Jesus is emphasizing here for us that there is no life and there is no flourishing found anywhere else but in him. And this particularly uh, is made vivid for us in the description of him as the vine and us as the branches. Just as the branches are completely dependent on this vine to find their life, so also are Jesus' disciples and so also are we dependent on him to find our life. And so neither can the branches bear fruit except when they're connected to the vine. So neither can the disciples or neither can we do anything of significance apart from Jesus working in and through us. 
And so said another way, we only truly find ourselves when we find ourselves in Jesus. And you see that so clearly in the disciples. This ragtag band of misfits, of people who are bickering and you know, fighting with one another and making false assumptions about Jesus all the time and constantly making mistakes. But these men, they linked themselves to Jesus. And when they did, they truly found themselves. And then through them, Jesus basically turned the Greco-Roman world upside down. Within 300 years, the Roman Empire was a Christian empire. And so these men found themselves in Christ. And that's Christ's invitation to you, to me, to us tonight, that we would actually come by faith and find ourselves in him, abide in him. And that word abide, it, it appears multiple, multiple times throughout our passage. And from the Greek, uh, menete is the verb form of it. It has the meaning of to stay or to remain in, to reside in. It's a homemaking term. And even the root of this word, which appears back in the previous chapter in John 14, uh, Monet, it literally means residence, dwelling, or abode. And so what Jesus is inviting us to do is actually to come and find our home in him. And home, you know, I don't know what home you grew up in. I'm sure many of you grew up in good homes. I'm sure many of you grew up in broken homes. I don't think any of us truly escape wounds in our family story. But when home, when it's, when it's functioning as it should, it's a place where you know you're fully known and you're fully loved. It's a place where you don't have to hide or cover up who you are. You can just be who you are and be fully loved. It's a place of security, which you can actually launch out into the world. And it's a place of life and flourishing. And Jesus is saying here in this passage to us tonight that home is found in him. You know, home is an ache of every human heart. We long for that place of being fully known and fully loved. And Crystal and I, a few years back, we watched a movie that we really enjoyed called uh, Lion. And it's, it's a film about an uh, Indian boy named Saru. And in this movie, Saru, you know, climbs onto a train at some point. Him and his brother are, you know, climbing around the train yard. He climbs onto this train. He loses his brother. And then this train takes off to the other side of India. And he is carried far, far away from home. And growing up in one state of India, he's carried to another state of India where they don't even speak the same language anymore. And he's, a, he's orphaned. He's, you know, sent to the streets. And through the course of this movie, he, you know, thankfully survives kind of the streets of India. And he's adopted into a loving Australian family. But then, you know, when he heads off to college, he's haunted by these memories of a place that he grew up in that he doesn't know. And his life really kind of begins to crumble with this weight of, like, I don't know who I am because I don't even know where I'm from. And through, you know, this long kind of painstaking search of kind of revisiting his memories, and then ultimately through the tool of Google Earth, he rediscovers his home. He rediscovers where he's from. And in this beautiful moment, he actually is reunited with his mother at the end of the, mo the movie. And when he is, he actually comes to this place where he can finally enjoy his adopted family and all the other relationships in his life once again. Uh, this story beautifully illustrates this point that we, only when we, um, we, we, that we find who we are only when we are where we are supposed to be. And as we're thinking about the gospel, as we're thinking about this passage tonight, the where we're supposed to be is in Christ, that we only truly find ourselves when we find ourselves in him. 
And, you know, that's really easy to say. I think in practice, um, that's much harder. You know, the unfortunate reality of sin, sin is the thing that contaminates our whole world, that contaminates all our relationships, is that we actually look for ourselves anywhere other than Christ. And from the beginning of the Bible, we see that even mankind was made to be at home with God. We were made to love and obey God, but then we suck our teeth into this terrible lie that somehow we don't need God, that we can find ourselves apart from God. And when we tried tried to live without God, everything broke in God's good world. We were separated from God and separated from where our true home truly is. And we now suffer, if you will, from a condition of homelessness and homesickness. We all want to be home. We want to be where we're supposed to be. But then we end up filling our hearts with all these poor substitutes for home. You know, a lot of research is being done about your generation particularly at this point in time, to kind of understand what, what motivates you, what drives you. Um, and this may or may not be true of you, but initial studies have shown that one of the big shifts in your generation is that family is no longer a major priority. That, for instance, personal achievement, educational or professional, and then hobbies or, past, or pastimes are now becoming more central to your generation's identity than even family background or upbringing. And by comparison, all generations up to this point have actually had family at the top. And again, I don't, I don't bring this up to take shots at your generation or say, oh, my generation's better than yours. I'm a millennial. I'm like, it's okay, man. We're okay. Get along. It's all good. Um, but what I'm trying to bring up with this passage is really that, again, we are filling our hearts with so many things other than God himself. We're looking for home, but we're you know, putting other things at the center of our lives. And particularly, I'd say individualism is, is wrecking our sense of personhood, trying to find ourselves detached from the relationships around us. Um, and what we're seeing from this passage is that no one actually finds themselves apart from relationships. We were made for relationships. You know, God in the very beginning said it's not good that man is alone. We're made for relationships with one another, and ultimately we are made for a relationship with God. We cannot find ourselves apart from Jesus, but Jesus moves towards us and invites us to come find ourselves in him. And once we do so, we actually find where we're supposed to be. And so, you know, as we leave this place tonight, I definitely need to leave you with this question. You know, what was it, what is it that you're looking for? Like what, where are you trying to find yourself? Where are you trying to find home again? You know, it could be through a number of things, things that maybe you're conscious or unconscious about. It could be your grades. It could be your relationship, whether it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It could be your resume or your future career. It could be social media um, or binging on Netflix. It certainly could be the, the respect or admiration of others. We all trying to find life in all the wrong places, but Jesus invites us to come and find our life in Him. Which brings us to our next point. Um, but Jesus, when He invites us to come and abide in Him, He doesn't ask you to just go and clean yourself up and make yourself this great person so that you can actually abide in him. What he actually asks you to do is come as you are, messy as you are, sinful as you are, and actually find life in him. And by doing so, he actually leaves it to the Father to clean you up and make you all that you were supposed to be, to transform you. Jesus, you know, in this passage, makes another important description by describing the Father as the vine dresser. And the Father, you know, in this role as vine dresser, his job is to prune the branches so that they're more fruitful, that they, um, have, they're more life-giving. And to accomplish this, person, or this purpose, 
Uh, he must first cut away that which is dead and misshapen in us. When we come to abide in Christ, the Father continues his work of basically shaping us more and more into Christ. You know, uh, Da Vinci, when he was asked about uh, making the statue of David, like, how do you know how to go about this work of, you know, finding David and the marble? He's like, basically, I'm just chipping away what's not David. And essentially, that's what God is doing with us. When we come to abide in Christ, he's, through all the circumstances of our lives, he's chipping away those things that are not Christ in us. He's pruning away remaining sin and corruption, old thoughts, words, and habits that lead us away from God rather than towards God. And as we're reading this this passage, and particularly as we're talking about this work of the Father to prune away or cut away dead branches, you're probably wondering a little bit more about verse 2 and verse 6. Those who do not bear fruit are taken away by the Father, and those who do not abide in Christ are cast out, withered, gathered, and burned. So what's going on here? Certainly there is a lot of kind of startling images that are being presented to us that beg a lot of questions. And as we consider this work of the Father, I think it's helpful for us to remember in this passage who Jesus is actually talking to. That he's talking to his disciples. And when he discusses the possibility of a branch just being cut off or thrown out, you know, he's directing that more so to an ambiguous kind of third person. Any branch, anyone not abiding in me. But in verses 3 through three and 5, particularly, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's using you know, the very personal, second person plural, or pronoun, um, you, like talking to you and what, what's going on with you. Um, the descriptions there are not of disconnected branches, but those that are connected to Jesus already. And furthermore, um, we see that Jesus says that the disciples are already clean. This is even hearkening back into John 13 when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. That Jesus' word, Jesus' love for them has already made them clean. And again, as we're getting a little bit into the details of the Greek, sorry to nerd out on you here in the Greek, um, verses 2 and 3 actually have a fun interplay to them. You know, there's another word for clean, um, kathere, and that's actually the same word for pruning. Cleaning and pruning are kind of the same word. And then Jesus, you know, using this word, kaifei in describing the disciples as clean, it's like the fact that they're being pruned is actually proof that they're being cleaned, that they're being cleansed. And so pruning is actually proof that you belong, that you actually are united to Jesus, and that you're his, and that he is making you all that you should be. And so the Father's work in to, in, for us is to clean us up and make us like Jesus. And the, the work of cutting away dead branches, it's almost like those branches were not even connected to Jesus at all. That they were already separated from the vine. And you know, if you're looking at question six, and maybe asking this question, this question came, a lot, came up a lot with my friends in college. You know, can I lose my salvation? Can I be you know, united to Jesus at one point and then disconnected from Jesus at another point? And I think that's actually the wrong question for this passage and for that verse particularly. You know, that question itself is taking our eyes off of Jesus and putting them back on ourselves. It's making us the object of our faith. It's making our performance the object of our faith. And what this passage is pointing to us time and time again is abide in Christ. The right question is, are you abiding in Christ? Do you know him? And are you becoming like him? Because only when we are in Jesus can we know that we have salvation and life that we are all looking for. So in some ways, this passage does serve as a warning to the disciples and to us 
But it's a warning to look nowhere else other than Jesus. And if we're looking to Jesus, no, we can never lose our salvation. Because not only um, in Jesus do we find life, but Jesus himself has taken hold of us. And he's giving, that, giving us that life. And so pruning, as we're seeing, is, is cleansing. It's you know, God cutting away that which is dead and misshapen in us. And pruning is actually proof that we belong to Jesus. So what, what more does pruning look like? I think pruning is really closely tied to this idea of discipline, that you know, God disciplines us for our good, that we actually might become more and more perfect, that we might more and more become like Jesus. Um, a couple passages here for you. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. And for a moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who who have been trained by it. That's from Hebrews 12, 6, and 11. And then from Revelation 3, 19, to those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline, so be zealous and repent. So really, God's disciplining work in our lives, that work of really cutting away those things that are not um, pleasing to him, those things that are pursuits in our life that lead us away from him, that painful work that he often does in our life is actually proof of his love for us that he cares for us and wants us to be his and wants us to be everything that he has made us to be. You know, I haven't always had gray hair in my life. You know, maybe even the grays here, they look a little crazy. Little, I, you know, this, is, this is not my real look, if you're, if you're wondering. Um, kids have certainly given me these gray hairs. My, my daughter is Brighton and Blair. They're, they're such a joy, but disciplining them is so hard. Um, even just tonight, as I was getting ready for this sermon, you know, I was just like trying to help help out at home a little bit while Crystal was away at another meeting. And, you know, Brighton, like, makes this huge mess and throws water all over the floor. I'm like, all right, Brighton, go clean this up. It's like, no, Daddy, no. Like, I'm too tired. Like, I want to do it. I'm like, you made this mess. This is your job. you got to clean this up. And ultimately, you know, me kind of, you know, setting down the law, laying down the law for her and saying, like, no, you got to actually handle this mess even though you don't want to. You know, why do I do that? I don't, I don't like getting screamed at. I don't like being, you know, disobedient. But I do it for her good. I do it because I love her. I do it because one day I want her to be someone who reflects the love of Christ to others, someone who takes responsibility for their actions. And that's what God does with us. He's a loving Father. He's a loving God that wants us to be his own, that wants us to be children that reflect his goodness, his glory to the world around us. So God's disciplining work, his pruning work, is to make us more and more like Jesus. Um, to kind of close this point out uh, in application, um, I'm going to quote Tim Keller here for us, a famous pastor up in New York. In the end, we can't say to ourselves, I don't care that literally everyone else in the world thinks I'm a monster. I love myself. And that's all that matters. That would not convince us of our worth unless we are mentally unsound. We need someone from the outside to say we are great, of great worth. And the greater the worth of that someone or someone's, the more power they have to instill a sense of worth and, and self in us. Only if we are approved and loved by someone whom we esteem can we achieve any self-esteem. And to use biblical terms, we need someone to bless us because we not, cannot bless ourselves. We are irreducibly social and relational beings. We need someone to respect us to be respected. And we need someone to admire us to be admired. 
Even when, our modern, when modern people claim to be validating themselves, the reality is always that they are socializing themselves into a new community of peers or cheerleaders, people whose approval they crave. And so, you know, kind of this idea of, you know, God actually wants us to change. God wants to prune away those bad things in us so that we more and more reflect the life, the love, the light of Christ to those around us. And pruning is hard. Pruning is difficult. But change is necessary that we actually become who God wants us to be. And so just saying something like, I just need you to accept me for who I am, that's just a cop-out. Because really, you need, you need change. That's what's, what's necessary for you. That to be conformed to the image of Christ, you must change. You must be transformed. And God desires to do that work in you. And so if you find, you know, in your pursuit to abide in Christ, that you're finally letting go of vices or things that are misshapen in your life, and that's hard, that's difficult, and it actually feels more difficult than when you had your vices with you, you act, don't lose heart, because you're actually in a good place. You're where God wants you to be. When things are kind of, if you will, even out of your control, that's the place where God desires to work. That's where God desires to conform you more and more into his image. And so when, when those things are happening to you, you know, continue to hold on, continue to abide in Christ, and know that God is doing a beautiful pruning work in you. And it's all for this reason, that you might bear much fruit, that you might produce the fruit of love in, 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 in your life and the life of those around you. So looking kind of at the last section of this passage, it's going to be a quick flyover. Didn't quite get enough time to flesh this all out. But verses 17 through, or 7 through 17, there's a lot of interconnected thoughts here. And bearing fruit, I think, means four things for us. First, it certainly means love. And if we look at, you know, how many times love appears in this passage, it appears, um, you know, several, numerous times. You know, from verse 14, we see that the Father loves Jesus. And it's that same love that, um, that the Father has for Jesus that Jesus now loves his disciples. It's the love that Jesus has for his disciples that is the basis of their abiding in him. From verse 15, we see that the disciples abide in Christ's love when they keep his commandments. Jesus also abides in his Father's love as he has kept the Father's commandments. And then from verses 12 and 17, we see that Jesus' command to his disciple is that they love one another. And lastly, from verse 13, we see that love expresses itself by going as far as laying one's life down for the sake of your friends. Um, disciples are called Jesus' friends, and ultimately, it's Jesus who will lay down his life for them to save them. Love permeates this entire section of our, our text tonight. And so love is, is what God actually desires to produce in you. That love for himself and love for those around you. And, you know, as you think about this idea of bearing fruit, you know, fruit itself carries in it the seeds of, of another tree, of another vine. It's that God actually would, desires that your life would produce his life in other people. And that's through love. It's through willing and seeking the good of those around you. It's not just living unselfishly. It's actually actually moving towards others and pursuing them and loving them as Christ has loved you. And we see that this is actually Christ's you know, command to us, that his obedience to Christ is actually the command to love him and to love others. And so living in obedience is um, loving, loving those around us. And, you know, it's not obedience for obedience sake. 
It's obedience that actually results in joy. Again, going back to my daughters, you know, when, when they actually are sweet with one another, which is another thing I witnessed tonight, when Brighton and Blair were playing in the room together, and Brighton's you know, sharing her toys with Blair, which is very hard for you to do as the first child. The second child comes in and invades your space and wants to play with all the things you have. When Brighton actually gets to this place where she can share and love Blair, like that's a joyful moment. That's a, a great moment, and it's a beautiful thing to see that in my child. And similarly with Christ, that he desires obedience from us, and that obedience is to actually just love him and to love those around us. And then we see this idea of friendship in this passage. And that, that should really be mind-blowing to us, that God actually desires to be your friend, the maker of the universe, the one who created each and every one of you in this room, the one who has all power and authority, desires to be your friend. And that's, I think, really what sets apart Christianity from so many other world religions, is that God actually moved towards us in friendship, and that God, in his friendship with us, actually laid down his life to make us his friends. And the obedience that we now you know, live out because of his love for us, it's actually love from his love for us. It's, it's love from, it's not love for. We can't do enough good things to earn God's love or favor or approval of us. God actually freely blesses us in Christ. And as we receive that, that moves us to love others. And it's not servitude. It's not this slavery. You know, I think a lot of um, other faiths, you know, say like, you've got to do these things. You've got to say these certain prayers. You've got to go to this temple this many times a month. You know, only if you do these certain rituals will you have good karma. Will you finally be able to attain, attain the things that you are longing for? That's really a, a servitude or a slavery kind of mindset. Jesus says, all that I have is yours. Come, abide in me. And find what you're looking for. And as you do so, you'll actually produce the fruit of love in your life. And lastly, I think the last thing we see in this passage a couple times is that, you know, ask, if you abide in me and you abide in my love, if you do what I command, you know, ask of me whatever you will, ask of the Father whatever you will in my name, and it will be done for you. That, you know, as we understand our union with Christ, as, our, as we find ourselves in Christ, that actually results back into prayer, talking to God. Um, you know, loving the things that he loves and asking for those things to come about in our lives. And we pray basically God's words back to him. If you've you know, joined us at Westminster Redeemer or another church here in town, you've heard the Lord's prayer, you know, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. It's all of it, it really and contains in it is, you know, um, our, your, our Father, you know, who art in heaven, um, your, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on heaven and on earth. You know, at the heart of that prayer is that we'd actually love God so much that we would want what God wants and that we would do what he desires to do, which is really to reclaim this world from sin, reclaim this world from the curse of sin and death, and that we would be agents of that and to do what he longs for us to do. Um, again, kind of keeping with this seed analogy, think about an acorn. An acorn contains within it the seeds of a tree. And, you know, when the tree comes shade, it comes a place for animals to find dwelling places. You know, all the, it produces more acorns, which my, my girls love playing with acorns. It produces entertainment for my children. But then you think about a whole forest that, you know, a tree, trees actually produce more oxygen for us to breathe. There's flourishing, there's life. Um, everything is as it should be as there are more trees produced. 
And that's the same thing with, with Christ, is that he actually, by us abiding in him, we actually are united to one another, that we become this life-giving community, we become this community of love that actually promotes him to the world, promotes him to those around us who are living for themselves, who are living um, apart from God, separated from his love, separated from his life. Um, by abiding in Christ, we become people of love. We become people who share his love with those around us. And that's the mission that Jesus calls us into, is to come and abide in him. And as we are blessed in Christ, to become a blessing to those around us, to be about his kingdom coming on this earth, be about sinners being reclaimed from the kingdom of darkness. And so as you think about this concept of finding yourself of life in, finding yourself in Christ, um, it never ends with us. It always um, rests on us that it might be extended out to others. Um, so think about, you know, just some opportunities that if you are abiding in Christ, that you might get to share that love with your classmates, with your friends, with your roommates, with international students who are coming here to the United States. You have an opportunity to give an account for the hope that's in you, to share this great gift of love that you have in Christ to those who are around you. And again, it's all a result of what Christ has done for us, not what we've done for him. He's reached out to us. He's the chosen us. He's appointed us that we would go and bear much fruit and prove to be his disciples. And it's all because Jesus laid down his life that, to call us his friends. That he, you know, after giving this discourse, this final upper room discourse to his disciples, he went to the cross. He said to the Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. And he laid down his life to take it back up again. And to show that he had the power over our sin. To show that he had the power over all the forces of darkness in this world. Jesus laid down his life for us so that we might truly live. And all of us, all of us were at some point dying, withering branches. We were disconnected from the vine. You know, Ephesians tells us that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. But God made us alive together with Christ. He raised us up with him. He has seated us with him in the heavenly places. It's what God has done for us that means that we, or gives us the life that we are all looking for, is brings us back home, brings us to where we're supposed to be. And God desires that we would be people that invite others to come back home. And so let's try to be those people this week, and let's do so, first of all, by finding ourselves in the vine, by finding ourselves in Christ. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your great love for us in Christ. We thank you that when we were reaching for other things other than you, when we were trying to find life in all the wrong, wrong places, when we were uh, trying to sell, shut up shelters in the streets, in places far from home, that you reach out to us, that you lay down your life for us to bring us back home, to remove every obstacle that stood between us, that we might know um, a relationship with you once again, that we might know life with you once again. And so, Father, as we grasp this truth, as we grasp our faith in Christ, would that transform us? Would you cut away all the, the sin and remaining corruption that is there? Would you continue to conform us more and more into the image of Christ to make us more and more like him each and every day? And by doing so, would you help us to be people that share his love with those around us? That we would so savor, so... Um, delight ourselves in this gift of Christ that we have that we would couldn't help ourselves but to share it with others. We pray you do this work in us um, by your spirit. In Christ's name, amen.
We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Texas A&M RUF podcast. If you're interested in joining us for a large group, we would love to see you at All Faiths Chapel on the north side of campus across from Sabisa at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. Go ahead and follow at AggieRUF on Instagram for updates about any other events we're putting on. We hope to see you around. Thanks and gig'em.